0: I uh, really appreciate Brad and uh, Reynolds uh, letting me do this. This is, uh, this is a lot of fun. did this for more than 20 years, but I've been enjoying my last year as being a chaplain at St. Francis. And um, it, it's no secret, I've told Brad and, and some others, you know, I, I don't miss dealing with a church board. I just, see you know. And when when Reynolds said that Brad and Jennifer need the break, you know, this is my 38th year in ministry and I can just say amen to all that. Just support them as much as you can. And uh, the rest that uh, pastors and their wives and their families need is it really is because it it can take a toll and um i've learned to be to be very honest this last year has been good for me it's been a very healing time oh by the way our clou- our house closed last friday so those of you have been praying for that thing to sell yes we get on to move to the ne- move on to the next chapter so that's a uh, that's a good thing and being able to figure out how to buy a house with with nothing not nothing down but nothing nothing how to buy, how do you buy a house with nothing <laughs> So that'll be the next challenge, you know, that that we face. So appreciate your prayers on that. But the house is sold. But I realized yesterday and today, so I told Reynolds this earlier, that we'd lived in that house for 10 years and we really loved that house. And uh, it was in West Virginia and it was, uh, it was just a cool place to live and we put a lot of work into it. And uh, I, I just realized that I'm going through kind of a grieving process of, you know, letting that go, you know, just like you would... Uh, a family member, you know, you have to go through your grieving process. Um, along with grieving comes mourning. Uh, grieving is the, is the uh, emotional aspect of it. Mourning is the physical, what do you do to show that grief? So I haven't quite figured that out. I haven't hit anybody or, you know, broken any TVs and then stuff like that. But uh, we'll see how that goes. I wanted to ask you this morning about what's the, what's the best invitation you've ever received i think about that for a minute what's what's the best invitation you've ever received there's all kinds of invitations right you get invitations to weddings to parties to uh just christmas events and different things but what's the what's the coolest invitation you've ever received i uh but when, when Terry and I lived in Pasadena, I was in seminary, we actually got an invitation to go to Kevin Costner's house for some function. And we couldn't go. <laughs> you know, that, that would have been, that was pretty cool. It was, it, was a, it was a Young Life event, and he was going through his searching period. Um, at, that, at that time, it was in the late 80s. Uh, but anyway, I don't, I'm not quite sure how that worked out. But anyway, that was a pretty neat invitation. Um, now, there's other there's other kinds of invitations that are a little, mm. when you're a kid, and grandma and grandpa say, come over here, come on, sit down, you know, and, and when you're a kid, it's like, okay, you know, so you go and you sit down and you look up, and with grandpa it's kind of weird, because when you get older, you get all this hair in your nose and in your ears, and it's scary to kids, you know, and... Now I'm one of those older... I'm not a grandpa yet. I'm old enough to be one, but I'm not one yet. But I don't know what the deal is with the hair and the nose and the ears. But I wish I could get it to grow up here like it does here and here. You know, if I work something out with that, that would be good. But what's the best invitation that you've ever received? I love it when someone that I care about very much says come here, sit down, spend some time with me. I I don't know that it really gets any better than that. When the person that you want to spend time with asks you, invites you to be with you, that just gets you pretty fired up. And I feel bad for people in in life. I, I visit patients in the hospital all the time, and they have no family they have no support system and we chaplains try to be there for them. You know, we have a little phrase that we share with my, I'm one of three residents at St. Francis and we don't want anyone to die alone. We don't. So we make every effort when we find that out to, to be there with people uh, so that they don't have to die alone. People shouldn't be alone like that, but an invitation to be with someone that you love is a very, very good thing. And, I, and, and I, I love being with my wife and my family. We spent the day yesterday. It's homecoming time. Daughter had to find a dress. So we spent the day together shopping, ate a little bit, cheesecake factory, you know, and that kind of stuff. It was fun. It was just fun hanging with them. Well, we're going to read a story. Uh, I think it's familiar to some of you, but not to all of you. And it's about one of the coolest invitations that someone Will ever receive. And this guy's name is Mephibosheth. I know that's a mouthful, but he is the son of Jonathan, David, King David's friend, and the grandson of King Saul, the first king of Israel. And this story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. So we're going to read that together. Okay? The whole chapter won't take too long. And I just, I want to warn you today. Um, you know how Brad always says and Reynolds says, lean in. Uh, Lean in, because I'm not going to talk long. You see, I've been around long enough. I've talked hundreds and thousands of times in front of people. So it's like, I don't, I, it, I don't have to say a lot. Uh, there's just a couple of things I want to say to you. And when I'm done saying them, then I'm done. Okay, <laughs> so uh, there's, there's a few things. There, there's two stories I want to tell you. And, and I love it when there's stories that don't make the point, but the stories are the point. So I've got two stories that are the point. am going to look at a couple of things and then we'll be done. Okay? I promise you. So lean in. Second Samuel 9, verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still one of the house of Saul that I may show kindness, the, the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his feet and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant, and David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should uh, show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul And to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. May God bless this reading of His Word. I don't know. I, I don't know if you've heard that story before. It's. Uh, I think it's an awesome story of the greatest invitation. One of the greatest invitations that I've ever heard of. Here is this guy Mephibosheth, who's living in obscurity. Now, Mephibosheth's name means shameful one. Shameful one. Now, the way that he became lame or crippled in his feet was when news of the death of uh, of Saul and Jonathan came back to Israel. It was in the battle of uh, on the plain of Jezreel in front of Mount Gilboa. Um, Both Jonathan and and, uh, Solomon, um, both Jonathan and Saul were killed in that battle. They lost a lot of men. It was a battle with the Philistines and news came back to Israel and people were afraid and they began to flee. And then the nurse who was taking care of five-year-old Mephibosheth fell. And when she fell, she fell on him and broke his legs. And he became lame in both his feet. You can find that in Second Samuel chapter 4. So his name means shameful thing or shameful one. And he's living in Lodabar. And Lodabar means a dry place or a desert. And he's living with this guy named Makir, who that means a salesman. So, he's lame, he's living in a desert with a salesman. (laughs) Do you get the picture? Uh, I don't know whether the guy sold used chariots or, or what, but part of what I want you to think about is... What is Mephibosheth's mentality in growing up? Perhaps someone in his family and others sold him on the idea that all of his problems were related to David. Because David, how did Saul spend a lot of his time trying to find David? David. He 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 turned against David. We know that that was a, a, a spirit that drove him to do that, an evil spirit. But he wanted to hunt down and get rid of David because David was loved by the people. And he knew that God had anointed David king ahead of him or instead of him because he had lost favor with God. So Mephibosheth may have well grown up hearing stories about how David was the real problem. You're this way because of David. You don't have anything because of David. You lost all that your family had because of David. It's certainly possible that he was filled with that in his head. But now, David is king. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, he's getting firmly established. Things are beginning to settle down. He's having some success. The people have accepted him greatly. And all of a sudden one day he's thinking about his friend Jonathan. And the scripture in in 1 Samuel 20 says that David loved Jonathan so much that he loved him as he loved his own soul. And that David and Jonathan had a covenant. And David promised that he would never stop showing kindness to the family of Jonathan because of their friendship. So one day when things are settled down and things are going pretty well with David, David begins to think, man, is there anyone left from the house of Saul? Is there anyone of Jonathan's family left that I can show kindness to? Why would David think that? David is experiencing the blessing of God. He's he's God's ordained. He belongs to God. He has a relationship with God Like few others have. And one of the things I want to suggest to you is that... When you're in right relationship with God... Gratitude and kindness should fill you. Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said that... Rebellion does not begin with shaking your fist at God. It begins with an ungrateful heart. And you know what? People... Human beings, by and large, are an ungrateful lot. We're un- we are think about it. We are very ungrateful. And one of the things we're called to, as followers of Christ is to be filled with a heart of gratitude. Why? Because God has done so much for us. So because of David's relationship with Jonathan, the covenant that he had with Jonathan, he's thinking one day, how can I show kindness? Is there anyone that I can show kindness to still left in the house of Saul? And someone brings the servant Ziba to David. And he says, is there anyone left? And Ziba says, yes, Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. But he's lame in both his feet. And David says, go get him. Isn't that a cool picture? See, Mephibosheth is lame in both his feet, so he can't come. He's unable to come. So David sends the servant to fetch him. That's a picture of you and me. We are unable to come to God on our own. We're lame in our feet. We have no standing before the king. We have no standing before God. We have no place. But God comes and fetches us. He grabs us. He embraces us and brings us into his family, into his kingdom. David remembered his covenant with Jonathan. How many people do you think you work with, go to school with, hang out with? How many people do you think are ignorant of the covenant that God has made with human beings? If Mephibosheth is ignorant of David's love for his father, Jonathan, and the fact that he wants to show kindness, kindness, and when Mephibosheth comes before David, David, first of all, calls him by name. This is the first time Mephibosheth's name is used. Ziba doesn't use his name until later. And then David calls Mephibosheth by name. And God Almighty calls you and I by name. There was a day. For me, it was December of 1965. December of 1965. I was a junior in high school. And I was home alone. It was a Sunday afternoon. And I was reading Ephesians chapter 2. Where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And when I read that, God called my name. He said, you're mine. That's a long time ago. Forty-five years ago. Best day of my life. So God offers a covenant with human beings. A new covenant. What is that new covenant? Get a little glimpse of it. We don't have this in our scriptures for today, but I want to read it to you. It's, It's found in... Jeremiah chapter 31, you know what you've heard it, Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 31, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor And teach his brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know the Lord from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. You see, this is a new covenant. What how would you classify the old covenant? The old covenant says thou shalt and thou shalt not. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. How did you do with that covenant, by the way? Not very good. There is no human being that did very good with that covenant. The Old Testament is a history of failure of any human being to keep that covenant. And now comes the new covenant. Do you notice that when David is addressing Zeba as a servant, he says, do this and do this and do this. And Zeba says, yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. That's kind of a picture of the old covenant. But with Mephibosheth, David says, I will. I will bring you to my table. I will feed you at my table as long as you live. I will give back to you all of the land that your father and your grandfather lost. I will. So the new covenant is not thou shalt. The new covenant is God saying, I will. Now, a covenant is only as strong as the weakest partner. So, is the new covenant God promising us forgiveness of sins based on our performance? Or is the new covenant God's promises to us through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ? Think about that for a minute. You see, now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying it doesn't matter what you do. I'm not saying, I know some of you react, and rightly so, when someone says, once saved, always saved. That's a terrible expression. It's a terrible expression. When people imply that they can do anything they want because they have been saved, and it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. But what God does, his work in us is eternal. It's irreversible. And God brings, uh, David brings Mephibosheth into his family because of nothing, because of his covenant with David. Mephibosheth has nothing to offer David. He's lame in both his feet. He can't even be a servant. He can't do anything. But because of David's love for Jonathan and his covenant with Jonathan, he shows kindness to Mephibosheth. Why does God show kindness to you and me? Why? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. Christ was the perfect human being. Perfect in all his ways. Sinless. And Jesus was not only the perfect word of God to you and to me. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus perfectly communicates who God is to human beings. But not only that, Jesus is the perfect response as a human to God. If you ever wonder what the perfect response in any situation to God is, the answer is Jesus Christ. So, is your faith... In keeping the covenant, that you keep the covenant, that your response is sufficient. Now, now think about this: You and I are often overwhelmed by the cross, right? By the message of the cross. Are you telling me that your response is sufficient to save you? That every single day of your life, the way you respond to God is sufficient? No, that's not it. What I'm saying is, is that Christ's response is sufficient. And my faith is in Christ. He is my only hope. He is my only prospect. This is, this, is the, this is the only way I'm going to make it. It is my response. It is my faith to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. He is the perfect response to God. Not just one time, but every time. And my hope is. Is in Him. My hope is in Him. We live in brokenness. We live in sinfulness. We live disconnected with God and with people. And there are people all around us that need to hear the message of the new covenant. There are people here this morning that need to hear that message that it is not what you do that saves you and keeps you in God's covenant, it is what Christ has done on our behalf. And us surrendering to him. Our surrender to him. When David comes to Mephibosheth, he says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Are you fearful this morning that you're not doing enough? You're not living up to what God has called you to? I feel that fear. I feel that failure all the time. It's a very human thing. And I think that we're all together in this. We often beat ourselves up for not being good enough. We'll come away from a message. Brad is an excellent communicator. Brad is an excellent preacher. And there's other excellent preachers that you've heard. And oftentimes we go away from a church service. Boy, that was good. I've got to do better. No. That is not where life is found. In doing better. Life is found in trusting Christ. That Christ has been the perfect one on my behalf. That my hope is only in Him. And yes, I am getting better. Am I better than I was 45 years ago in following Christ, in loving Christ, in portraying the fruit of the Spirit? Yes, of course. But I'm also more acutely aware of how broken I am and how far short I fall. My hope is not in my strength and my efforts. They're in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. David wants to co- show kindness to Mephibosheth because of his love for Jonathan. David invites Mephibosheth to the king's table. God invites us to his kingdom. Why? God invites you to eternal life, to forgiveness of sins, to a life of connectedness with him and with others. Why? Because of his kindness. Do you ever think about that? God is good. God is kind. He loves you. God not only loves you because of his son, he loves you as he loves his son really you know that that's a hard one for me to to get a hold of and as i'm telling you that it hasn't fully sunk into my own life god loves you not just because of christ he loves you the same way he loves christ that's grace that's kindness that's real love Let's read together. Titus chapter 3. Look at this. This is this is some amazing stuff here. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He loves us. He's pouring out his kindness upon us. Why? Because of, his co- because of the covenant with his son. And we're in the covenant because of our faith in Jesus. That is the new covenant. In just a moment, some of you will receive the bread and the cup. It is the bread of the new covenant. It is the cup of the new, the new covenant. This is, this is what it's all about. What is the new covenant? It is that Christ has kept our side of it as a human being. Christ as the perfect man. Completely and perfectly obeyed and keeps up the covenant for us. And our faith is in him. So, in one sense, God takes care of both ends of the covenant. His end and ours through Christ. Christ is our representative. The perfect man has done that for us. That's an amazing thing. So, your invitation. The invitation to you this morning is to come to God's table to come to Christ and sit at his table where he has everything that we need we've studied Second Peter and First Peter uh, with the guys on Wednesday morning and I know one of the things that charges Reynolds up is that verse where it says that God has given us everything we need to live a life of godliness he's provided everything we need everything, think about that Everything that you need to live the Christian life is yours through Christ. Before we close out our service, I want to tell you those of you who know me have known me for the last 20 or 25 years. You've heard this story, but a lot of you haven't. The story makes a point and brings this to a close. Um, I told you that this is my 38th year in ministry. Um, My first job was a youth pastor in Youngstown, Ohio at a Presbyterian church. I was single. I was stupid. I was ignorant. And I made $5,000 a year and lived in the basement of a funeral home and ambulance service. It was really weird. But anyway... I loved the job. I loved being a youth pastor, and it was my first position. And one summer in the mid-1970s, the church had the idea they were going to do a picnic. They had this whole park called Idlewild Park there in, in, uh, in Youngstown. So we all went to Idlewild Park, and the idea was is that the church was going to provide um, some entertainment you know, and, and uh, a beverage and All the families that came were supposed to bring food, you know, pack your picnic basket. All right. So at that time, I lived with my two brothers who were my two younger brothers. And one was a mechanic and one worked for a trucking trucking company. And my brother that was a mechanic was always working. And my brother that worked for a trucking company was always gone. So our refrigerator was one of the most pitiful looking things you've ever seen in your life. So it's picnic day and I'm the youth pastor and I've got all this stuff lined up. I've got the volleyball equipment and softball bats and everything in my car and the trunk of my car. So I'm on my way to go to the picnic and then I realized that I don't have anything to eat. Looked at my wallet. There wasn't much money. So I ran home to my apartment, opened the refrigerator door and pulled out the meat drawer, opened it up and there was one piece of oscar meyer Bologna left in the Bologna package do y'all know what Bologna looks like just before it goes bad it gets dark around the edges it's a little darker than everything else and it starts to flip up like this it <laughs> curls all right so i pulled that puppy out of there Opened the bread drawer back, we're talking mid-1970s. There wasn't all these choices in bread. There was white bread. That's what we bought, right? But the good thing about white bread was if it was green, it showed, the contrast was real clear. You know, so if there was, if there was any fur on it, you could tell right away. So I opened up the bread drawer, looked at it, looked okay, took out two slices of bread, plopped that piece of bologna on there, and then got out the economy size mustard jar. It was a little bit left in the bottom, you know. So I get the knife, you know, you get it all over your knuckles trying to get that, that little last little bit out of there, you know. Put that mustard on there, threw that sandwich together, threw it in a brown paper bag, and I was I was off to the picnic. I got there, still was there before most people. So there was this huge wooden picnic table. So I sat my brown paper bag and my bologna sandwich down and then I went off. I put up the volleyball net, got everything set up. And then the pastor got there and he decided it was time to eat. So he prayed. I went back to the table and there was um, uh, another family had, had joined me. And it was the Smith family. I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. Edna Smith was the chief cook for our church functions. And she had like nine kids and ninety-nine grandkids. And they had they had all surrounded this table, and Edna had a pile of fried chicken, and then she had macaroni salad, potato salad, all kinds of condiments, and two huge chocolate cream pies. So I sat down and I spread out my bologna sandwich. And Edna kind of looks over, you know, she's at the end of the table and she looks down and she pokes one of her kids and he looks down and, hey, Don, yeah, Edna, um, why don't you join us for lunch? So, well, yeah, I'm here. the this is great. She said, no, no. She said, uh, why don't we just throw everything together? Oh, really? She said, yeah, we got plenty of chicken and macaroni and cream pie and we all love bologna sandwiches. Let's just throw it together. So, you know, I I said I was young and stupid, but I I wasn't that stupid. this, This was a really cool invitation to join the Smith family. So there we were, you know, dividing up Chicken and macaroni and potato salad and chocolate cream pies and bologna sandwiches. And there I was eating, you know, just fabulously when I came with with nothing. Nothing at all. This is the union of human beings with God Almighty. We are invited to join God through His covenant. And he has everything we need. And here we are running around with our little brown paper bag and our bologna sandwich. You know, and, and many people are saying, "It's you know, like, like Smeagol or Gollum in, in Lord of the Rings. It's mine, mine. No, nobody's going to get it, right? You're not going to share it with anybody because you made it, it's yours, and that's it. But humanity is starving. We are we are starving for the things that God wants to give us. And for some for some reason we refuse to come to him. Jeremiah says that you've made for yourself cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Isaiah says you've made your own light. You've rejected the light of God. You've made your own light. You're going around trying to find your way with your own light. And those two great prophets summarize that very well. We, tr- we try to provide our own resources and make life work in and of ourselves. And it can't. It can't. God has given us everything we need. And let's face it, when we come to Him, we're not bringing anything. We're, br- we're bringing nothing except our sinfulness and our brokenness and our need. Just like Mephibosheth, when he came to David's table, he brought nothing. We're bringing nothing to this union between God and human beings. But yet he loves us and he invites us to come and to feed at his table. We got a little bit of a problem this morning. Um, and and maybe, the, maybe the fewer numbers, Reynolds, would that have solved the, solved the problem or not? No? Don't think so? Okay, we don't know. We have a little problem. We don't have enough cups to just say everybody come for communion. So we're going to be very creative. What I'm going to do is invite you, if you if you want to take communion, please come. And on first Sundays, we usually have everyone come. Um, and I know God understands and will forgive us for for, for this because... The most important thing is what is going on in your heart. So I would invite you, if you would like to come as a family, perhaps you would have a family member receive the elements for you as a family. But you are like a, but you're with them. You're all doing it. It's just one person is doing it for your family. But we may have an, you know, I don't know. I don't know until you get here. But you understand? We just this is a, this is not a normal thing. But we're going to work together today, right? We're going to make this work. Because God has invited us to come to His table. And what... I don't know what you're thinking right now. But I challenge you, as we pause and the folks come back up and sing, we're going to ask God to just sit with us and be with us. And I want you to to just really zoom in on, focus in on all of the resources that you need in this life and in the next are in Christ. Everything you need to live for him is in Christ. And this picture of the table, the bread and the cup is a picture of the body and the blood of Christ. It's the new covenant through his body and blood, the one loaf means the one body of Christ that we share. It is the one instrument that God has used to save folks like us and to bring us to himself and to grow us in Christ. So think about that this morning. I know that you are, we are more like than unlike. And The connection that you and I have this morning is we both feel like we don't have what it takes. And you're right. But Christ does. The reality is God doesn't need my bologna sandwich. But I need his chicken. I need all that he has for me through Christ. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. And he shares all of that with us. Everything you need is there in Christ. I hope that you'll go away this morning knowing that God loves you. He loves you deeply. He loves you passionately because of his son and as he loves his son. And he wants you to enjoy the blessings that he has for you forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for these folks that are here. Thank you that our need is so great, but your provision is even greater. You've given us everything we need in Jesus Christ. Thank you for All of the resources that are necessary. Thank you for forgiveness of all of our sins. Thank you for the promise of life eternal. And thank you that all of that is through faith in Jesus Christ, the one who has kept the covenant on our behalf. And our trust, our hope is in him. In his name, amen.